From the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, presented by a Cloud Guru, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. You know, you can't kind of be around our industry these days and not run into an article, an event, a meetup, a presentation that doesn't talk about microservices and and how you should either break up your existing applications into microservices or write new ones as microservices. And and it all sounds great and it all sounds fantastic from like an agile perspective and a going faster perspective. But the reality is when you start breaking things up, um, you have more things that you've got to keep track of. You've got to figure out how A talks to B and C and dependencies and so forth. And so today we're going to talk about a topic that I don't know that gets enough uh, attention, uh, but it's it's something that's sort of emerging very much as new applications are being written. So today, very excited to have um, co-founder of Honeycomb, a company we've been really following for a while, uh, Christine Yen. So Christine, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so, like I said, we've been uh, one of our friends, good friends, uh, Neil Akani, who's been on the show before, is at Honeycomb. But Honeycomb um, has gotten a lot of attention uh, because of your background, because of your co-founder Charity Major's background. Um, give us a little bit of, of your background prior to Honeycomb, and then and then why you and Charity decided to to start the company and, and really kind of uh, you know start this whole focus around observability. Yeah. Um, my background, um, I have been in and out of startups for quite a while now. Um, uh, I'm a software engineer and have worked at a number of um, small companies that generally got bought by bigger companies. Um, Artbark got bought by Google, uh, Parse got bought by Facebook, um, and throughout that journey, uh, including starting a company that went that was also targeted consumers and went nowhere. Um, throughout that journey, I really developed an appreciation for building developer tools, building things where um, I and the folks I choose to work with have a deep domain expertise, understanding what we're building, why we're building it, who we're building it for. Um, Charity and I actually met at Parse uh, about five years, almost six years ago now, um, we met at Parse. She was a head of infra, uh, running ops over there. Um, I was I came in as a software engineer and built the analytics product. And throughout our time together, um, as well as through the acquisition, um, we often crossed paths when we were um, both in a position of essentially trying to figure out quote unquote what was going on. Um, from her perspective, often it was from an off pers- from 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 uh, her ops seat trying to debug an outage or trying to uh, dig into, you know, why some Mongo, some one of our Mongo replica sets was misbehaving, which customer was causing that, you know, how how to mitigate some of the uh, adverse situation, like some of the uh, how to mitigate one customer misbehaving affecting the others in our uh, multi-tenant setup. From my perspective, as the person building analytics, it was often what was going on and why our analytics were displaying some something funny to mm-hmm. our customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, often they would be looking at a graph that we um, very proudly showed them to be like, oh, you know, we'll tell you what's going on with your apps. And they would come and write in to support asking, 
well, why does my graph look like this? What's underneath that, that spike? Can you tell me more? And we ended up starting Honeycomb. Um, I had left Facebook in the spring of 2015. Charity was leaving um, in the fall of 2015. And we were chatting about a tool that we had both encountered at Facebook that had made this, this process of answering what's going on um, an order of magnitude easier. Um, this tool is called Scuba, and uh, it was the tool that she turned to when trying to figure out what was happening with our system, and it was the tool I turned to when trying to figure out why our analytics, uh, why our um, the, the, you know, the, the product that we built seemed to be misrepresenting what was going on or insufficiently accurate. And uh, this tool really provided, um, really it made a set of trade-offs around um, that optimized for speed and flexibility um, that made this uh, answering any arbitrary question easier. You know, a a customer would write in um, and we'd be looking at this graph of, you know, requests per platform. Um, Parse was a mobile backend as a service, so we would show things like, oh, well, you know, your iOS client is making this many requests and your Android clients are making this many requests. And, And often... You know, for example, we have customers being like, "Well, you know, I know, I know the problem is Android because I only have Android apps using using Parse, um, but which, you know, why why is it doing this?" And I'd be able to dig in and, and sift apart um, this very high cardinality data and tell them, "Oh, well, it's this one operating system version of Android that seems to be correlated with this increased number of requests, and it seems to be, um, you know, these five device IDs or, or something." something very super detailed and detailed enough for them to be able to go back and, and triage and understand why their app was behaving in that way. And when we both left Facebook, we were both sort of struck with the fact that this tool didn't exist for folks outside of these large, uh, you know, these large companies who'd had the resources to build it themselves. And we were really struck by the possibility of being able to provide this experience to people outside because neither of us really wanted to, you know, if we, if we rewound five years, neither of us really wanted to go back to a world where we were doing our jobs and didn't have access to a tool like this. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now it makes, it makes sense. And we, we kind of always love to have people on the show who, you know, the thing that they've created sort of wasn't just, Hey, we saw a trend. So we decided to do it. It was like, it, it sort of was born out of, out of a, an actual pain point that they had or a, or an experience. And they said, you know, we would, we would have built this for ourselves or we used it for ourselves. And so we'd like to, we'd like to make that, you know, readily available to, to a, a global population. So that's very, very cool. Um, so folks, as you're listening to this, uh, you know, the shows are always half an hour and we can only get so deep into this. Uh, Christine is actually giving a, a much deeper talk on this at the Velocity Conference in, in New York City. So as you know, we, we partner with the folks from O'Reilly a lot. Um, if you want to, uh, you know, hear her speak about this more, um, definitely go to the show. Um, there'll be some uh, discount codes in the show notes and so forth, but just wanted to throw that out there as well. If, if you're, if you start listening to this and you go, Oh man, I wish they hadn't cut it off at 30 minutes. I want to, I want to dig deeper into it. Um, so let's talk about observability. Um, observability kind of feels like a new term. I, I think we, you know, for a long time, uh, if you were in ops, you, you said, well, I have monitoring tools. I have logging tools. I have, other things like that, like what, what is observability? Is it, is it something that's very unique or is this kind of just a new way of, of looking at monitoring? There's an analogy that um, I think Charity has been using that I really like um, where monitoring 
think about the word monitoring. It is about uh, I'm going to set this check for this thing that I know might happen. I know um, an intruder might come into my house and there might be movement. I know someone's heart rate might go above this um, some threshold in this known way. Um, and I'm going to set a check for it and I'm going to watch it. I'm going to, if, if this known thing happens, I'm going to be ready and I'm going to pounce on it. Um, that's important. Um, there are many ways that our systems might misbehave or, or act strangely um, in a known way, and it's important to have those checks. But as you mentioned in the beginning of this, of this call, um, our, you know, microservices are becoming more popular. People are experimenting more with containers, with, um, are, are more tolerant of nodes that might just get killed um, and new nodes spun up. Our systems are getting more complicated. And with, along with that growth and complication, um, we really need to be able to not just watch for these known problems or these known conditions, we need to be able to tease apart and, and, and ask new questions of our systems. We can't just keep relying on, hey, you know, our, uh, is the number of requests made by our Android client within expected bounds? That's not enough. We knew that, uh, we, we encountered that from the ops perspective and we encountered that from, um, like I was describing, my support perspective. We need to be able to go in and tease apart, oh man, is it operating, you know, is operating system 10.1.2 the cause of this spike? No? Oh, well, okay, what are the user agents tied, tied in? Is, it, is there something strange happening with a combination of uh, you know, user agent and operating system? Or uh, from Charity's perspective, was it, uh, is, it this, is it this customer on this replica set issuing these types of requests again? More and more, there's, there's all these different combinations of things coming into play. And the number of things, if we were, try, if we were to try to... Uh, approach this from a monitoring perspective, the number of the sheer number of things we would have to monitor would result in millions of metrics, thousands of dashboards that we'd have to scroll through to see, you know, what's going on. Uh, another analogy, and, and I'm sorry, I'll, I'll no, it's okay. It's good. It's good. No, it's good. <laughs> another analogy we've been, uh, we've been hearing and really enjoying using is when you go to the doctor, the monitoring approach almost feels like uh, the doctor has a set of checklists that they're checking you against. You know, mm -hmm. okay, is your arm broken? No. How's your blood pressure? No. Um, is your are, are all of these other things in line? Where where they're you know is your foot is your foot swollen? But that's not how good doctors work, right? Good doctors look at you and they're like, what hurts? Oh, okay, your heart your your chest hurts. What about your chest hurts? Does it hurt if I if if when you do this sort of behavior? Does it hurt all the time? How does it hurt? Where you're asking these questions and zooming in from this high level, what hurts question, uh, to really get at the root cause instead of having checklists and and um, and surveys that kind of try to paint a picture from uh, based on based on past work. Right. Well, and it, and it makes sense. I mean, if we if we put it in the context of 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 microservices, for example, right? <clears throat> you know, it's it's a thing. We've got some development patterns that help us build microservices, but but the way that they're going to break and and how people are interacting with them now with you know mobile devices or you know AI making a decision in the back end or whatever it might be, like there's not enough sort of history built up of of exactly 
what those usage patterns are always going to look like, especially what the failure patterns are going to look like. Um, so it makes yep. sense that that we're now sort of, um, you know, having to to unlock a different way of of thinking about how are we going to keep track of these things and and ultimately you know, diagnose them and, and hopefully, you know, fix them and so forth. So it, it makes sense that, um, you know, it, we're still in this, in these earlier days of saying, Hey, it, you know, we're, we're building the applications different. So the systems around them are going to end up having to be, uh, are going to have to be different in, in new ways that we haven't necessarily thought about before. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so the more I was, the more I was digging into it, um, I, you know, I kept seeing this reference to, as we get into distributed systems, it's, it's very difficult to, to give sort of a, a binary answer, a, a yes or no to, is the system up? Can you, can you dig into that a little bit? You know, like why are, you know, I mean, if something's up, you'd sort of say, well, I can ping it or I get a, <laughs> I get a response. Like, why is that not necessarily the case anymore? Maybe versus what we used to see in the past. Yeah. Um, I would love to, I love to tell this story. Um, we, so again, a lot of our, a lot of our drive for Honeycomb came from our time together at Parse. And one of the things um, that Parse experienced really uh, painfully is Parse is a platform with a huge variety of uh, different apps sending us traffic. And um, I think at the time of acquisition in April of 2013, um, we had about 60,000 different apps on our platform. Um, By the time Charity left, that was over a million different apps. Um, These apps could be write heavy, read heavy. They could be doing, uh, they could be syncing their entire state every second. They could be um, having very targeted writes and reads. And what would happen is, you know, again, with 60,000 of anything, you can't, you can't have a separate check for each of them to make sure that they're health, that they're healthy and that their um, requests are completing in a reasonable amount of time. So we had our top level metrics. Um, we had this on a wall top level metrics are still useful to have uh, monitoring checks for. Um, but we, if we purely relied on that approach, we had no ability to um, respond to, for example, salesperson coming to us saying, Hey, Disney wants to try us out, but all, you know, they're, they're, they're they've got a trial going on, but all of their requests are failing. What's going on. They think parses down. Yeah. Um, and f- we, we needed something that would let us, uh, you know, we, we had our tests, we had our monitoring checks, but we didn't have the ability at the time to actually say, hey, what does the service look like from this user's perspective? You know, th- and this all ties into, as, as our systems are getting more complicated, the answer of, uh, or answering the question of, was Parse up, is my service up, um, is complicated by, what are other tenants on that system doing? What is my database doing? What is consuming resources that might not um, be be checked for in some in this other situation? And ultimately, we could we could point at our graphs on our wall as much as we wanted, saying, "Hey, look, our, our graphs are green, parses up." Um, but from that user's perspective, it wasn't, and that that was causing that was causing uh, that was causing. Uh, friction with the steel that was causing uh, these, these users to be unhappy. Um, there's some, I think there's a uh, Zazzle site or something um, where there are these mugs and t-shirts being produced uh, based on something Charity said on stage once, which is um, nines don't matter if your users aren't happy. Yeah. Right. Ultimately upness reliability measured by your, your pingdom check um, doesn't matter if, when your user issues this particular type of request um, in this under this certain particular under this other pattern of traffic, 
uh, it doesn't, and uh, it, it, they just always fail. Your yeah. your availability, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And no. there's been this like movement of trying to remind people to think in terms of what does my end user see? What does the actual business matter? Uh, what, what actually matters to the business? Not just is my pingdom check returning five nines. Right. Right. Now that makes, it makes a lot of sense. And, and again, it's, you know, we, we now live in a world that's so, um, you know, it, everybody's experience on the web is going to be a little bit differently, you know, a little bit different, whether it's, you know, the type of device you use, but, but ultimately, you know, you, you want to have this feel of like, you know, this experience was specific to me. It worked a certain way. And, and then you've got expectations of it just, you know, flat out working all the time too. So it makes sense that there's got to be a deeper level of, of granularity to be able to figure out what's going on. Why is somebody upset? Why are we, why are we seeing certain things? And, um, so let's let's dive into the platform a little bit. Obviously, you know this is probably a conversation that's that's better in front of a whiteboard. But but at a high level, um, you know, Honeycomb collects data in lots of different ways. Uh, they could be log data. It could be, um, you know, an agent. It could be monitoring an API. It could be a lot of things like that. Data all comes into your system. Like what 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 has to go on in a in a system like that, especially from you know tons of different applications, users, companies, in order to to make it useful. Like what's the what are the high level things that you have to do uh, that you, or that you expect from the data in order to to make useful information out of it? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Um, we expect data that comes into the Honeycomb platform to be structured and not pre aggregated. Uh, one of the things that a lot of systems, um, metric based time series pre-aggregated metrics systems rely on is um, doing a lot of aggregation on the client saying, oh, I'm just going to increment a counter over here um, in order to provide speed in returning analytics to the customer. Um, we rely on not pre-aggregated data, um, but data that is structured so you can tell us, you know, these are the keys, these are the values. Um, and we take that and we shove it into a um, distributed column store that is super highly optimized for being able to return fast analytics in a very flexible way. Um, and this lets us essentially give folks the flexibility that they're accustomed to, for example, getting out of their, out of their logging tools, being able to um, being able to break down or, or filter by anything that they think of rather than what they defined ahead of time. Um, but being able to get a performance uh, characteristics out of that that are unlike anything that you would get you know, grepping over unstructured text. Okay. Okay. No, it makes, it makes sense. And again, there's always going to be some trade-off between how I send you the data, how it's represented, and then what, how much work you have to do to make it, uh, you know, useful. And, and so that's good to know. Um, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm kind of stepping over over the bounds when I say that, um, you know, charity's a charity's a unique person, unique personality. Um, and, and 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 one of the things that. Uh, that I always find, uh, you know, she gets a, she speaks at a lot of events and, and I'm sure there are people who are going to go and they're going to, uh, they're going to Google honeycomb and, and her talks are going to pop up. And a lot of times her talks, because the, the two of you have so much kind of real world experience with, with live web scale environments, um, you know, they come across sometimes as like, and that's kind of crazy. That seems, you know, contradictory to what we see sometimes, you know, in sort of mainstream IT. And I know one of the things she's been talking about lately is you need to test in production. Can you, hmm, can you give folks yeah. a sense of like, what, what is test in production? That sounds insane. Like what, why would that line of thinking come along? What, what does that do to help a company? Absolutely. The, the, the important thing to uh, remember here is when, when she's saying testing in production, she is not saying only test in production. Mm -hmm. It is not test in production because you didn't previously 
It is great. You've written your unit tests, your functional tests, your integration tests, all the tests locally that you do that you needed to write to make sure that they work in isolation. Now let's also apply that mindset to after you've shipped your code, after it's deployed. Um, let's apply a testing mindset to it to make sure that things are actually behaving the way you expect them to. That the the same thing that you believed would be correct locally is also correct in production okay um and i'm actually i'm glad you asked about this because this is um a large theme in um, our velocity talk uh or workshop it's this mindset of okay what should i be doing i as a software owner whether that is the the person who wrote the code the person who is operating the code um is ultimately we believe that we're approaching an era where people are um, th- those roles are, those roles are blending, um, and and there's a software owner who is just responsible for making sure that that code still works. Um, and testing in production is 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 encouraging people to think about, okay, well, what if you had the same sort of visibility in production into what your code is doing, how it's doing it. Um, that that folks are accustomed to during their in their debugger during tests, okay. um, and a lot of that means um, if you start from a very concrete example, an end-to-end check is a f- simple form of a production test. Um, what that end-to-end check actually does very much you know very heavily depends on your system. Uh, to use an example from the honeycomb world, our end-to-end checks that we use to make sure we're we're still behaving correctly, uh, right. They write a payload to Honeycomb, um, and within some certain amount of time, they expect to be able to read that back. Um, and this is kind of what we boiled down to. This is the, the bare minimum of what a customer should be able to see work reliably for them to consider Honeycomb as being, quote, unquote, up. And so we have that end-to-end check written, and we also have uh, kind of paired with end-to-end checks, we have instrumentation and and observability to be able to immediately jump in in case that end-to-end check fails because when that test case you know when a test fails locally um you you dig in you you plug in your debugger you um you know add log lines whatever whatever you need to do to figure out why something is failing in production it's a little bit trickier and so by saying test in production we're saying hey okay what do you need to do to figure out why something is failing, and think about it a little bit beforehand so that you can be ready. Um, I really think of kind of observability as a strategy for that sort of debugging and production, instrumentation as a tactic. Um, and so, so that means for our end-to-end te- test, going in and making sure that we have hooks telling us, hey, what failed, when, how did it fail, um, from the end-to-end check perspective. And from the server side, having the ability to say, oh man, okay, this end-to-end check failed. Um, what was ha- what else was happening when this end-to-end check failed? Um, is that failure unique to just the check? Is it happening elsewhere to other customers, to other uh, workloads? And that that's really what we're going for. We're telling people, test on production and be able to debug those tests by demanding to have the same sort of visibility that you have um, that you have locally, 
when you're talking about production machines. Gotcha. No, it makes it makes it makes a lot of sense, and I appreciate the, the sort of clarification for it because, like I said, uh, you know, on the surface you go, "Wow, that it sounds." It's, it's sort of an interesting perspective, but no, I, I yeah. the, the clarification is very very helpful. Um, I, I'm going to sort of wrap it up with one last question. One of the one of the things I like to do, especially with with new companies with startups, is is you know go out to the web page, go look at some of the customers that they reference and so forth, and um, I always look to see. You know, are there customers sort of just local valley companies or just, you know, other brand new startups or you know, have they sort of migrated out to a broader set of customers? And so I was I was kind of uh, I was gravitated towards you have Fender Guitars as one of the customers that are on your on your website. And, yeah. you know, Fender Guitars been around for a long time, um, you know, and, and not necessarily you wouldn't necessarily think of them as as a technology company as much as, uh, you know, kind of a kind of a craftsman company. I mean, obviously, you know music is a is its own industry but it's not the building of the guitars and so forth isn't necessarily you know a silicon valley company can you talk a little bit about what a a non-silicon valley company is doing from an observability perspective like why would you know what are they doing that that uh you know needs observability absolutely um so fender I love as an example for the exact reason um, that you describe. It is, it is a little bit. It, it's easy to think about um, platforms like Parse, like many of the other um, companies we work with, as having observability problems. Um, but they have, ultimately, you know, this is cliche at this point. But software is eating the world. Mm-hmm. Every company has a software team. Every company has servers um, or, or, or software that is that is that is running that they need to be able to debug. When, when things are going wrong. And a lot of these problems are, a lot of these things are going wrong uh, in production. And Fender, um, one, one thing I want to, to point out is while observability is certainly talked about a lot in conjunction with microservices, um, observability, the most exciting part about this is that, you know, or rather dirty little secret is that it, it is not only useful to people with observability. Uh, sorry only useful to people with microservices. Mm, Um, Plenty of people who use, who have monoliths um, have a lot of the same problems and often more where they, they need to be able to dig in and find out what's happening in production. Um, That was a caveat. Fender in particular is actually incredibly tech forward. Um, They are uh, very vested in the serverless space. Um, They've got a lot of, um, they have a number of Lambda functions running in production um, and they are using Honeycomb to tease apart uh, the data that they're getting out of CloudWatch to, in order to figure out what's happening with their logic. Um, and they, you know, they are doing a lot of trying to tease out, again, the same sorts of problems you would if you were a normal, if you were some other Silicon Valley e-commerce company. Um, what's happening with subscriptions? What's happening with uh, these these things that are really important in my business, why are they failing? Or why are they behaving in a certain way? Uh, why is it taking our customers longer to complete their purchases? And when we started the company, we knew we knew there was going to be a lot of, um, we were ultimately trying to change how people uh, thought about uh, observing their systems, monitoring their systems. Uh, we were co- trying to cause a behavior change. And we knew that part of the key in building a successful business off of that sort of thing was being able to reach people who were, uh, you know, east of Fremont. And it's, it's so exciting to be able to have customers, um, who are able to hear what we're saying 
out as we're talking at conferences and, and posting blog posts um, to hear and, and be able to self-identify, hey, you know, I do have that problem. Oh, man, um, the, the old way and these old tools I'm using just aren't quite cutting it now that I'm in a world with uh, containers and, and no servers um, and, and things like that. Interesting. Um, and, and Fender have been, they've been great customers. Um, and it's, I'm, I'm glad you ch- picked them out to talk about on this call. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, that's very, very cool to hear. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're based out here in Raleigh, so we're always looking for things that, that, you know, we know the technology is coming out of the Valley, but we're always looking for uses outside of kind of, uh, sort of like you said, the, the, the 280 or 80 bubble. So, uh, very, very cool to hear, <laughs> hear what they're doing. Well, listen, um, with that, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of wrap it up. Um, what's the best way if people want to engage with Honeycomb to, you know, try the technology, you know, get in touch with your team, just, uh, you know, in, engage with you in general. Absolutely. If folks are interested in trying out our technology, we have a free trial. Um, it's a one month trial. And uh, once you have an account, you can go play around with what our demo data set. Uh, we've got a nice little tutorial that walks folks through uh, sort of the mechanics of playing around with demo data. Uh, but we have a ton of really great integrations to, that make it easy to get your data in. So please try it out. Um, give us a shot. We're around on chat and email uh, and always around on Twitter. Very, very cool. Well, listen, Christine Yen, uh, co-founder at Honeycomb, thank you so much for the time today. Really enjoyed the conversation, and hopefully folks learned a little bit more about observability. And like we said, if you want to really dig into this some more, um, she'll be speaking at the Velocity Conference in, in New York here coming up pretty soon in June. Um, for that, uh, you know, for Christine and for Aaron, I want to thank everybody for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more podcasts, show notes, and everything social media. And visit acloud.guru for all your cloud training needs.